You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. All right, welcome to episode number 51 of the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Mark Bennett. Mark is a British commando and has been involved in coach development since the early 90s. His business, Performance Development Systems, or PDS, began out of his work in training the trainer courses for the military. From this experience, Mark then left the military to focus on his business full-time. He believes in a practitioner-based approach to maximise real-world performance, and PDS has worked with England Rugby, Bath Rugby, Warrington Wolves Rugby League, NBA teams, the British military, along with a host of schools, universities and businesses. He was honoured with a member of the British Empire in 2006 and it's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, Mark. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Yeah, no worries. Um, so it's pretty. you're making the average person feel pretty bad there. You've, uh, you've jammed a lot in. Um, what, what's, uh, what's a bit of a backstory, more detail on how it went from uh, commandos into uh, coach development? Well, actually, I mean, although I served with commandos and I was commando trained, the the big thing was coming from my physical training instructor um, that that was my main sort of career it evolved into. And it was early 90s where I go on a lot of coaching courses um, and you do the instructional stuff and you think you're doing a great job. I'd come from commando forces and you start to realize that actually you're not doing a very good job at all because (laughs) my light bulb starts to make the connection that I was – all I was doing initially was guys that were mentally robust, that were engaged, that had the, you know, the skills internally. I was just almost downloading the information and the training for them. So they were keeping up, but I wasn't influencing anybody that didn't have those, those skills, those qualities. Um, so I started to realize that was 1990. I either need to change jobs or change the way I do my job. So it's it was been a lifelong passion since then. And uh, it's taken a long time. It took years for me to get it right. And then it took probably another six, seven years for me to understand how I can train other people in it. And it's just evolved, evolved, evolved. And that's why in 06, I turned down promotion to leave to do this full time because I'm already working with um, premiership rugby teams and Super League um, since the late 90s on my holidays. So... Mm. It was, a, it was a simple transition for me, really. But, yeah, the the light bulb came from realizing how bad I was when I thought I was good. <laughs> well, I think, well, hopefully everyone gets to have that light bulb. I, I, I definitely think coaches uh, could experience that because I, I know looking back to my first years, it's, uh, there's some cringeworthy stuff there and you, you've, got to, you've got to make that change uh, to, to grow and develop and be effective. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's finding the right people that can help guide you to shortcut that mm. that skill set um, mm. and for me it was I, I couldn't really find any practitioners out there that could explain it there were either people good at it but couldn't really explain it they sort of naturally evolved or there were people that were very good at presenting it on a powerpoint mm. but when it came to practitioner they, they they it couldn't be transferred and as you know most coaches are practitioners so mm. it, that's why it took a, quite a while for me to get to a point where I could share something that could add value to other coaches right so, so what do you mean by a practitioner-based approach that you're working uh, solely with the coach in terms of their development? Yeah, so it's taking taking something that could be a concept or a theory and actually making it so that you, you can provide 
usable tools that you can actually either show how it works or or give the coach the triggers and the the information and understanding so they can go and actually apply it so it's a bit like some of the uh, previous podcasts that I've, I've done recently is coaches have just got in contact from that and said I, I picked that up and I gave it a go and it worked so mm. it, it's that type stuff that I think we need more of um, not to say you can just hear something and all of a sudden you're an expert but mm. it's just having that ability to go okay that makes sense okay I was struggling with this this is a tool I can use to deal with that challenge I've had with my players or deal with the challenge I've had with myself as a coach or the coaches I work with. All right, cool. So, so talk us through it then. If you, if you started with a, a coach or with a, with a franchise or something of that nature uh, in, a, in a sporting set, setting, how, how, would you, how would you initially engage with the, with the group or the coaches and, and how would that work kind of over, over several sessions working with that, that individual? It's always, uh, there's two elements to that. Is One is if they've approached me and they go, Mark, I get it, I want it, I don't understand it, then mm-hmm. I go straight into just what I call a baseline. So I just ask them to film themselves coaching, not one, one session, lots of sessions. So the players forget the videos there. Mm-hmm. They forget it's there, but coach themselves, not coaching the players. So a lot of the time I ask them to put a camera on their chest or a head harness, but chest is great. And so mm-hmm. you can hear them and see what they do. Do that for a good week or so. And then I just ask them to look at the video and just start to take notes on them, what they did, um, how they reacted to certain things, um, and just give me some timing points on the video. And all I want to do is one baseline what they're doing and also to allow them to be more self-aware of what they're doing and me to see are you seeing everything or so I can start to get a little picture through their eyes of what what their recognition is and also then I can start from that point then I can start having the discussions about okay well well let me share what I saw as well I love this but what about this and we just can start to get into discussion and explore where the success was and where the barriers are that is impacting on on the athletes they're working with so it all stems from the video baselining I mean understanding where you are I mean so many coaches haven't really filmed themselves mm-hmm. for them you know they've, they've often filled it for the players but actually listening back to themselves and starting to measure okay so am I talking too much what ratio am I talking am I repeating myself is that having an impact am I saying things I already know mm-hmm. lots lots of little areas but it's just that awareness thing to start with yeah okay great yeah and that's a pretty easy one to roll out grab a GoPro or a, or a video recorder and um hook up your phone with a, with a mic on it and record your audio and um a- any coach can really do that right but it just takes that yeah. that trained eye to look at look at uh pros and cons of what what they're rolling out in the session yeah and it's, i think the first stage is even if they don't have anybody that like myself that can come in and start having that conversation just mm-hmm. by filming yourself and spending time sitting down and listening to yourself not not worrying about what the players are doing, focusing on you, can be a real eye-opener to what you thought you were doing and what you're actually doing in a coaching session. So that in itself, I think, is priceless. But it's this is where that has to happen every time. I'm, I'm, I get quite frustrated when training or mentor providers go in and they don't baseline first. They're already mm. going in making suggestions. But for me, it's all about developing the coach to support them developing the players. So it has to stem from self-awareness first. Yeah, great. Okay, awesome. Um, I've, I've seen a few things that you've uh, put out and uh, speaking on, on, on Stu Armstrong's pod, which is how we, we connected. Um, you, you talk a lot about uh, assessing a team, whether they're interested in performance versus leisure. And then building that into the concept of 
uh, acceptable, exceptional, unacceptable. Can you can you talk a little bit about that and how that that would look on the practice field? Yeah. So the first element I always say to anybody is is start measuring performance not by outcome but through behaviour, mm-hmm. day in day out behaviour for coach and and for players. So where when we use the word performance and leisure, the first thing I do is is we agree the meaning to those words. So for me. Performance is a behavior, not an outcome, and leisure is a behavior, not an outcome. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is you can have a player that's, that's a top-flight premiership rugby player that is actually a leisure player because an example of a leisure player, he, he's, he, does, he does the stuff he likes doing. Um, he will work hard when the coach is observing him and asking him to do certain things, but the very things he knows that are impacting on his performance mm-hmm to take him to the next level, he, he won't put the time in. He, he won't do everything he needs to do unsupervised to be the best he can be. He's not pursuing excellence to be the best he can be. He's just thinking, as long as you get picked in front of the other guy. So for me, that's a leisure player. Now, you could have somebody else um, that is a beginner, but on the first day, and let, let's use this as a female player now, on the first day, she would say, okay, what do I need to do to be the best I can be? And she seeks the right nutrition. She seeks the right training. She really seeks to understand the elements she needs to learn when she's in the practice session. She doesn't mind challenging coach and working with the other players to help herself be the best she can be. And off off the pitch, on the pitch, supervised, unsupervised, she continues to be the best she can be in every single moment. See, that for me is a performance player. Mm -hmm. So the first thing... I always ask every coach to work through is start scanning people's behaviors and then make a list of which players falls into the leisure and which players fall into the performance and then put your interventions in to see if you can influence the leisure to impact on the performance and support the performance. So it's back to, are we actually measuring behavior? Or are we picking people just because they're the best in that moment? So for me, that's not pursuing the right environment for a team. Um, the right culture, and also it's not developing long-term growth for the, for the potential of any individual team. Okay, and is that is that then the accountability piece is the exceptional, acceptable, unacceptable part that you, you speak yeah, about? Yeah, so, so that's where we agree. So you've got two elements to that. You mm-hmm. you have to have the discussions with the players then. Of, yep. Okay, so what is it we want? And we agree it. So there's one thing where we look at what we call non-negotiables. So we we agree, and there'll be coach non-negotiables and player ones, and they're the things that said, okay, what do you expect from me and for you guys that you have to do every single time? That we agree it's not a sometime thing, it's an every time thing. Mm -hmm. So once we say what that is, and it may be something like, um, so an example of one of the teams I work with, they said, okay, we will get there first. So what they meant by that is, whether they've been tackled or they're getting down or getting into position or it's a warm-up, they will always aim to, to get there first, to be the first person in position after they've done something. Mm-hmm. So for them, that was a non-negotiable. They said they do that every time. So then we say, okay, so what would unacceptable be? What would that look like? What would acceptable look like? And if there is an exceptional, which sometimes there isn't, what would that look like? So that's, mm-hmm. that's a non-negotiable on a behavior. But also then every single session – we would share, so if we're working on one element, we would share, okay, so guys, let's just agree what's acceptable and unacceptable for us. So we all understand what it looks like. And if there's exceptional, what could we stretch towards? So then there's a, there's a, there's a compass of a, of a baseline that every player and every coach understands. Okay, when we say this, we all understand and buy into what that means for us mm-hmm. at our present level. Okay, and then 
the first the first time you see either exceptional, acceptable, or unacceptable, you you need to call that out, right? Well, that's where we use that rule of three. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, that's a tool that I find really powerful that I developed is. We always want to, if you think about training, we all agree that training is a means to allow people to perform in matches. That's the whole point of training. Training should be nothing more than that. So if we backtrack and we say, okay, in a match, what do we want to see happening? Well, the the perfect match for us is coach doesn't have to say anything. You don't have to send any messages on. The players themselves are working everything out. And if if a player starts dropping off in their commitment or their confidence, then they can realign themselves. But if not, there's other players around that could have the positive influence on that person. Mm-hmm. So what we're saying is that that's what we need to develop in training. We can't just be coach-led in training, giving them all the answers, um, asking them lots of questions, telling them what's right and wrong and how to put it right, have the odd discussion where it's majority proportion coach talking, and then hoping they're going to do something totally different in the match. So the rule of three is very much about, rule of one is the person themselves recognizes what they're doing, whether it's excellent, and recognizing if it's unacceptable and knowing how to put it right if it's unacceptable. That could be in their behavior, their choices, or their commitment to their choice, or the review of both the choice and the commitment once they've just made that choice. Mm-hmm. That's the first one. Rule of two is, if that's not happening the player, the players around them recognize that and has a positive influence to make the right changes in that player. So it's not just saying something to them, it's knowing, knowing the players around them and saying for that player, what's the best way to get them back to minimal ex- acceptable on what we've agreed. Now, if that doesn't happen, rule of three is the coach steps in. Mm. So we're sharing this overtly with every single player. So this is what we're going to do. The, the coach then stands on the sideline. He's looking, he's looking, okay, I'm looking for one. I'm spotting someone there unacceptable in what we've agreed. Okay, give them a few seconds. No, they've sorted it great. No. Okay, now I'm looking for the other players. Are they stepping in to help that player? No, I leave it for whatever judgment time I feel. No, okay, now I step in. Now I call a whistle. Go, okay, guys, why have I stopped this? And then the coach has to put his intervention in. Not tell them the answer again, because remember, no. this is this is the very things that we've agreed we know they can do. This is not stuff that they can't do that they need the coach for. So what that allows to happen is it allows the players to start owning and taking responsibility for their choices and their behavior on the pitch based on our pre-agreed acceptables and unacceptables and if there's exceptionals then being consistent with that's really important i, I gather oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah the less coach intervention you have the more successful you think you're being yeah and it's one of these things with everything with change there's a transition period so mm-hmm. If we agree this, we have to agree, look, we're going to do this every single time and then we have to bring it alive and we have to keep it alive. Now, I guarantee you when you put these principles in place, within one session, if you every time, it will transform the engagement of that session Mm. and you'll realize how much more the players know. You'll also realize that some players do not know things, but that's fine. All we've done is we've, we've established where the gaps are and then we can have the interventions in place. But if we're not every time... Order, order. I mean, players are smart, the same as coaches are. It's just they recognize, okay, this coach has obviously heard a podcast or been on a course. <laughs> yeah, he'll revert back in about 10 minutes. Yeah. When he starts losing it again, he'll take charge. <laughs> so this is where what's happened is in the past, players have learned answers. 
So the coach mm. comes in, they know the talk, the coach talks quite a bit. So the coach always asks the same questions and they might go, oh, it's with the coach or it's communication coach. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then the coach continues to say something because they feel they need to. And so there's there's no real engagement there. I mean, my my answer is always, if you see something going on, you have no intervention in place, you see something that's not quite right, you blow the whistle, you bring the players in, then you say, okay, review what happened over there, or what do you think about this, or whatever question, and the players give you the correct answer, my, straight away, my follow-up question would be, okay, when did you recognize that, and, and why didn't you do anything about it? Because mm. I'm giving you permission to make the change then. I want you to show me the answer, not tell me the answer. So it's a whole change of what our expectation is so long as it's agreed so they understand what it looks like that it's, it's we shouldn't be having so many of these chats where we're repeating the same thing over and over because one we haven't been consistent and secondly we haven't got a structure in place that allows the players to take ownership of the very things they should be doing for themselves yeah that's great and was this like one of the reasons i got you on the show is obviously to talk about this but also your your experiences working with bath you were with them for a couple of seasons is yeah. this a similar process that you did with or the exact process that you did with Bath? And what what was a general description of your role with the, with the club at that time? So the, the two seasons I worked with Bath were the two seasons they were the most improved team in the premiership. Yeah. The second season was when they made the final. Mm -hmm. um, Mike Ford brought me and I, I did a bit of work with uh, Mike when he was England rugby coach. Uh, and, you know, he, he started to recognise whether some of the challenges was with just you know doing the traditional questions with the players so when he pulled me into bath one of the things was that the first thing is is every coach needs to be happy working with me so it wasn't ordering to it's saying look here's an opportunity i believe in what mark's doing so the picture really looked like we started again with videos and we just asked the coaches with the gopros on the chest just to film and then I just sat down initially just with one-to-ones with them and just went through, what are you seeing? Okay, where's this? Where's the challenge? And, and linked it in some of the trends with some of the players that happened in matches where they're right. continually making the same mistakes or uh, do we understand if they understand? And very quickly within, and we were doing this every day, we were on every session. Mm -hmm. We were filming the meetings as well. And so we were reviewing the meetings because our aim was to, get the coaches that the strategy at the end was that the players did the pre-match review the players did the post-match review they drove on their behaviors first what we agreed on the non-negotiables and the coaches could stand at the back and they they carried out the review as well but they didn't have to say anything they tick it off so if the play, players covered everything the coaches wouldn't need to say anything and it was almost putting it back onto the players so our aim was always to get to that point so it was just getting the coaches to buy into it and then it was a case of I was linking up with the videos with them. We were looking at all the elements. We would agree then with each coach, what's our focus point for the next week. Um, we'd look at the structure with the content and we'd, we'd agree this principle of not overloading with so many content things. As you know, within Premiership Rugby, you've got a match generally every, every week and every scrummage coach line out defense, they're fighting for their time within mm -hmm. the training. So it was a case of... We're covering lots of content, guys, but do we know if it's going in? How are we measuring if the learning is actually just short-term, actually they're just doing what you're asking them to do, or it's gone in, where actually we're stepping back, we can put a scenario or a challenge on them the next session, two sessions later, with no hints, and can they recall it and can they apply it? And then can we manipulate the pressure to check where their competency is under varied pressure? So when we started to do this, it became clear that, look, we just needed – 
the whole week might be one critical outcome for the week. It might be one thing each player was working on individually and one thing as a team in defence and attack. And that was it. So we, we really stripped out the content and we really drove... It's not about covering content. It's about what impact can we have over time. And it may not be... You may not see the impact in that match because we're looking at long-term change. Mm-hmm. It's a cultural change. So it was... That was generally the process. Early on, I was with them pretty much every day. Then it was down to two days a week, then one day a week. So we just, once they got into the process, they could then email me the videos with their notes. I could review, have a discussion. And it was just making sure that through that transition, they didn't revert back once they bought into it. So it was to keep it alive. And my job then was to support them and keep it alive. Um, But they're... What was great was, I mean, look at the coaches there, very experienced coaches from a real diverse background. And although they were very individual, they all, all bought into the principles because the video couldn't lie. They they connected with it. Um, and they all had individual focus areas they knew for them. Some of them found other areas more natural for them than others. So they had their own individual focus points to be the best coach they could be. And we continued with that. I think they were a bit unlucky even the first season not to get into the top four I think mm-hmm. the one point off and then the second season again based on behavior I thought they did fantastically well it was unfortunate for me that I couldn't continue with them the third season just because it was a it was a coach training thing the coach brought me in but they only did, actually didn't know anything about it it was a coach um, pot for funding for coach development so they basically didn't have the pot the following season so uh Probably the season where they needed me the most wasn't there, unfortunately. Uh, that's a shame, and I, I, I kind of, I think a lot of, a lot of rebuilds, especially in rugby terms, generally take that three-year period. You hear Ben Darwin talk about that with team cohesion, um, yeah. and that it's you, that that three years is really like a, a minimal amount of time. So that would have been really exciting and interesting if that happened. Yeah, and it, the, there's always that that element of that transition period with the pressure that obviously premiership football premiership rugby have beyond the normal coaching so mm. it's that challenge especially there was a world cup that uh, year which england didn't do well on um it, the six nations in england didn't do particularly well on so some of those players were coming back and they, some of them only had two three weeks rest point and then we're going straight back into the season season again um and it was interesting if you look at saracens the season before they lost in the final and the following season, they just made the top four in the last game of the season and won the championship that year. Mm. So you sometimes I think we can underestimate underestimate the impact of lack of success can have on pressure and fatigue. And I think an element of that team that following season was they were burnt out. They maybe didn't have the support that they had the two seasons before in the behavioural stuff. But I think it was I think if they would stuck with that coaching team, I think they would have come out the other end the following season. Yeah, yeah. Well, just looking back at what what you're talking about there, uh, two things that jumped out at me was that the process is based entirely almost on on reflection, um, which yes. I think is really cool. Um, and that, um, well, you, you, you pointed out a couple of times that buy-in, whether it be from the franchise or from and from the coaches is and from the players is a hunt, like super important. Can you talk a little bit more about that? The buy-in's always got to come first. So it's always one of the things you don't have to like what you're doing. You just have to see the value in it linked to your desired success route. And and this is the important element. So it's not about doing things that you necessarily like. It's doing things that you see the value in. 
and then putting a support mechanism that can support the routes going through. So we talk about agreeing non-negotiables with the coach does with the players. Well, I do that with the coaches when I start the relationship with them. Mm. So we agree, okay, if we're going to work together now we buy into this, what's our relationship look like and what do you expect from me and what do I expect with you? And let's agree what's acceptable and acceptable within our relationship. So normally there's always honesty there. There's always park our egos. If we disagree with something, Mm -hmm. we're open to say it. But if we say we're going to do something, we follow through with it, whether it's the video review. We know there's going to be days where the scoreline may not support what we're doing, but we follow the same process irrelevant of the scoreline. So it's 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 putting mechanisms in place that you know in your own experience these could where the hurdles happen. Mm-hmm. And then once we've got that in place, I teach the coaches and I get the coaches to teach the players how a review process that takes the emotion out of reviewing. So it allows coaches what I call hot reviewing uh, in the moment under pressure Mm -hmm. to still make objective choices and and look through all the gray and the mist, the fog to actually still clinically review what's happening and making sure they understand. And it's it's a basic experiential learning cycle linked in with commitment to choice and commitment to execution of choice. And then reviewing both them separately, which is unusual in a in a standard review process so i get the coaches to do that so they learn to do that all the time hot reviewing means that i can stand on the side of a coach and while they're coaching i can do once we've developed this relationship and they have the skill level i just can just whisper okay just review what happened there and immediately they can go up miss that okay next time and they just hit the conclusion straight away Mm. okay show me off we go but they start they train and it has to be a formal training to train every player how to use a review process to self-review so what happens by that is every time the coaches come in with a question point we use the review process for the question so the coaches have to say conclude And he knows that actually the players know what that means. They must have worked through the review process or he says review and he's asking the coaches to go through the whole review process based on the elements we're working on that are relevant to us, not everything they see. So we know another challenge for coaches is they may see 20, 30 things and they start talking about them in that training session. Where actually the critical element for that session was already pre-agreed in this one thing. Mm-hmm. And there may be some facilitators on that one thing, but they're the only elements we should be discussing through the session. They're the only elements the players should be discussing through the session. Yeah, I, I love that concept of the hot review because looking at you know not only my own personal coaching, but seeing uh, various games being played, and that's often where games are won and lost is under that intense pressure of, of, yeah. of what you perceive as a poor refereeing decision or a skill error by a player and then the inability to 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 come back from that um that that must take a lot of um practice to to get to a point where you can do that with clarity i think it's one of those it has to be an every time thing but you'll Mm. be amazed i mean a couple of weeks even with i've done this with primary school secondary school kids a couple of weeks of doing it every single time with their even a teacher in schools doing it with their kids they're not even what you call elite level um athletes all of a sudden they're they're working things out themselves and so what you can start doing is you can manipulate the pressure in training whether it's fatigue or whatever tools you want to use and to see that actually irrelevant of what's happening irrelevant of the scoreline we do this every single time so then the hot review can be the coach can be walking up and down the pitch he could just shout someone's name out he's not stopping play and he's just asking them for a hot review in that moment we should Mm -hmm. take a split second now if the players looking at them blank that's because they're they're not keeping the hot review alive they're reacting to coach 
And the problem with traditional coaching is when a coach throws a question out, two things are happening. And this is, these are the negative two things that could be happening is one is he'll only ask a question if something's gone wrong. So therefore, the player already works out. He's asking me a question. Mm-hmm. I must have done something wrong. So the filters are on straight away. <laughs> yeah. Instead of, he should be asking when it's exceptional as well. So mm-hmm. we get to a point where the players don't know whether it's right or wrong. They're realizing coach is interested in my opinion of what I've just done based on what we said was successful at the start of the session. The, the, the second thing with that is, is when we start hitting the connection with often when we're asking the question, the player is reacting to the question the coach is asking. So what he's having to do now, he's having to think about the answer. Now, if he's using the the review process, he doesn't have to think about the answer. He already knows the answer because he's already worked it out live. He's not waiting for coach to ask the question. Mm -hmm. So it's a whole shift in the way we're asking players to think. And if you think about it, in the last, I wouldn't even say 10 years, in the last five years, Premiership Rugby, and I'd say even three potentially, has really stepped up in players starting to adapt to what's coming in front of them. You know, the, the game has changed. The athletes are getting faster and stronger. But their ability to change and make decisions on the move is becoming one of the critical elements for success. And and we need to start making sure that every level of every coach at every age group starts developing this type thought process early on because mm-hmm. that's going to make the difference. Yeah, I like that because... Um, if if the players are prepared for a hot review at any time, even if it doesn't come, they're they're still technically they're reviewed. thinking through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you talk a lot about also if um if it's not if it's not exceptional or acceptable, you can't review it. What what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is it's actually the commitment to it. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is if whatever we do, the first rule we're asking every single player at any age is I'm asking to make a decision and commit to it 100. percent Mm-hmm. If you don't commit 100%, we're not going to review it because we're reviewing nothing mm. because you haven't committed to it. If you commit to it and it's right and wrong, I really don't mind because you've made a commitment to something, we can work with that. So we can review the choice and the commitment, the competency of the commitment because you've committed. So the, the rule is that we never review anything. We never get in discussion if we haven't committed. If you haven't committed, we're just going to do it again. And so we won't even have a conversation. What would that look like on a on a rugby field or at a practice? Well, we know with players and coaches, we we know by experience and observing when mm-hmm. someone commits to something or not. So mm-hmm. it it may be, say, for instance, somebody's working on um, defending defending a a transition. So we've got a turnover, and we've we've got to get into that transition point where we were attacking and now we're defending. Mm-hmm. And now someone's got to make a decision based on what we've agreed on what position they'd be in how they should tackle someone now when they're moving backwards in that transition. And we've agreed how, what decision options you've got, what choices you've got at your level of ability, and you pick one and you commit to it. Now, we'll see straight away if someone's sort of sitting between the two, mm. if they've got two choices, and then kind of doing one. We know that's not a commitment. And then the guy might break through and score. But we're not bothered about the person's broken through and scored. What we're bothered about is the player hasn't committed to one choice. He's sat on the fence. So he's kind of done something. And, and in the perfect environment or in the, the, the consistent environment, you're then relying on, you're hoping one, that the player acknowledges that or if they don't, another player acknowledges that before you step yeah. in. Yeah. Yes. So that's where the rule of three is mm-hmm. fantastic because what we're looking for is we don't want to step in straight away to mm-hmm. three on that. Mm-hmm. We're looking, the player, now when we get to a point where they're doing, they can do the hot reviews with themselves so they're supporting each other, the player will put his hand up straight away and go, yeah, didn't commit. 
So he knows, and then then the next opportunity we're looking for, he, he can go for it without emotion and still make a make a choice and commit to it. If he's not seeing that, we're searching for another player to go commit. You just need to commit to that. You can do this. We just need to commit. So we're recognising the other players know. Okay, it was just because you didn't commit. So because you didn't commit it was unsuccessful in the same token if, even if he made the wrong choice but he committed to it he's he's committed and yeah. we prefer that than the not commit so we go great commitment great execution okay so if you were to do that again would you choose that option you go no i, I executed it brilliantly but it was the wrong option next time i'm going to choose this one great love it because it's learning but what they're doing is they're making a choice and committing to it and if you think about it even at the highest level in any sport that's what we're asking our players to do. Now, if we're doing that in training all the time, they can learn from that because they've got something to review. But if they haven't committed, they don't really know if it's successful or not because they haven't committed. So how can we review it? We're not learning from that, mm. apart from the fact you haven't committed. Okay. You, you, in the intro, I, I mentioned you do a lot of work with uh, in schools, universities, businesses. What, what, what do you think some of the... The, the consistencies are across those with the with the sporting field and and maybe some some lessons that coaches could take out of those environments there's some big elements i'd say the the biggest one is underestimating um teachers underestimating the ability of a pupil mm. and coaches underestimating the ability of the players and not just in what they know but also in what they can do without the coach or the teacher mm. um i see that a and what happens is there's a lot of um, teachers, the same as coaches, because of a first impression, they build up a belief in a certain player has got their limitations. Mm. So so they actually subconsciously start influencing where they're coaching that person based on a limiting belief the coach has. And I've seen it in schools with teachers. The, the other thing is, is teachers don't agree, don't use a rule of three, and they don't agree the non-negotiables of what do you expect from me as a teacher and what do we expect from you as a student? Let's agree what it looks like and let's bring it to life and live it. The, when something goes wrong, the teacher takes over pretty much straight away and starts to dominate the situation. And I see that too often with coaches, where actually that's an opportunity to actually either reset or actually use it as an opportunity for learning. Okay, there's some confusion here, guys. Okay, this is an opportunity for us because this could happen anytime. This could happen in a match. Okay, so what are options right now? That's straight right. back at them. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, you know, being a teacher myself, I can I can see that I'm kind of reflecting on on how I operate in the classroom and and some of the good things I do and some of the work ons as well. Um, yeah, you're you're so you're currently involved in planning training courses, uh, master classes around the UK and the US, uh, as well as some talent pathway interventions. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? What what that kind of looks like and who uh, who you've been uh, working with? Yeah, so a lot of the I'm. Doing a lot of um, movement across into the states a bit more for next year, but as well next year around the country because of the podcasts and a lot of um, communications. I've worked with about, I'd say, 20 to 30 national level sports now, mm-hmm. um, even from grass bowls, believe it or not, lacrosse. Awesome. I mean, pretty much most you can think of. Um, yeah, so a lot of um, people are getting in touch uh, and just asking, you know, is there any way we can find out more information? And the challenge is, is to provide a level of quality service for really want to get stuck into it is some face-to-face courses using the principles. So mm. the, the level one course I'm starting to plan around the country is, is a two-day course, but it's one day plus another day, four to six weeks later. And the second day is purely support, confirmation of learning and understanding. So we sh- 
and it can be multiple sports on the same course, coaches. So we explain the principles, we share videos, it's what it looks like. We agree on non-negotiables, what we're going to do when, when we go away for the four to six weeks. Coaches can then agree what they're going to commit to, what's acceptable or unacceptable, and then they can film themselves applying it. So we're not looking for competency, we're looking for commitment to their excellence of stretching themselves outside their comfort zone to commit to these principles. Then they review it, then when we come back on day two, we share the videos, we share what we agreed, and then I can help them fill in the gaps. Once I've seen them have made the commitment, I can give them some strategies to help support that process. So it, as opposed to a lot of traditional training courses, which is just the one day and then we go mm -hmm. away, mm -hmm. the second day has been priceless in, in understanding and developing growth within the coaches. So I'm pursuing them around the country. We've done a lot around the south, but there's been a lot of people north, um, Wales, Scotland, that have been asking to get on them. So I'm just looking for people that would be interested in hosting them so I can link up with them. And then we can just start setting some up throughout the year. And I'm doing the same in the States um, and working with some um, universities and elite sports, just setting up some contracts now to help develop the whole talent pathway. So basically, I can support the coaches from the elite level first team all the way through the academies, through the grassroots coaches that reach out mm. just for the normal schools and the areas of the town. So we can we can develop a coach at any level to support these principles. So we end up with athletes, even if they don't make it in sport, they become a better person. But the athletes that do make it through the journey, there's no, there's no stoppage. It's a flow. So even though they move up to a new coach, the coach may have a different personality and different skills, but actually the flow of athlete centered and being able to think of yourself will not change. So for me, that's very exciting. Yeah. I think that that's really cool because I, where would that exist? Maybe New Zealand with a, with the TGFU approach that they have across the board, but to to have a regional approach like that from from grassroots all of, all the way up to the elite, that would that would pay a big dividends in a pretty short period of time. Yes, definitely. I'm I'm still looking now for next year to find a premiership team. Um, and a premiership football team or championship team that's got aspirations to pursue excellence, um, and just just focus on supporting them and their academies underneath. So it's just it's just reaching out and finding head coaches that are in a position where they'd say, I'm comfortable being uncomfortable here, and, mm -hmm. and this is a missing gap within what we're doing traditionally. So it's, uh, it's, it's just getting the right person to invest in, in these type principles so they get the support they need. That's great. All right, I'll put all your contact details in the show notes. Um, and no doubt you're on Twitter and, and all the various social media platforms. Yes, uh, PDS Coach, uh, Twitter's the main one I use for okay. social media. No worries, and I'll put your website and email address and everything there as well. All right, um, we always end the show with the same final four questions. Uh, when you were a kid growing up, uh, who, was, who was one of your uh, favorite rugby players uh, going around at that time? Uh, Wayne Shelford. Oh, nice, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who, funny enough, funny enough yeah. yeah, and then years later, I ran pre-season training for Saracens when he came over as a coach, so oh, it was great. like a full yeah. circle there. So, yeah, I just love the attitude that team had, and mm. although they were seen as very a tough team, the All Blacks at that time, yeah. they, they were more intelligent than people to, in their understanding of the game and how to break down teams and more than they were given credit for. No, yeah, he's actually over in or coming over in Canada and um, and uh, there was one, there was one foot, bit of footage going around on YouTube, a test match against Wales, and the the Welsh second rower gave him a good right hook, um, and nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tough as they come, no doubt. All right, and what about now? Who are some of the players you like watching? Uh, 
Valentino Rossi, uh, MotoGP, funny yeah, enough, cool. if you awesome. go outside the sport. Yeah, yeah, um, nice. I've got a soft spot for George Ford just because I've known him since he was eight years old. So oh, I've seen wow, him great. progress and yeah. I just, you know, although he's not the biggest guy on the, mm. the pitch, I just love his work ethic and his intelligence in training and his commitment to being the best he can every time. And I, I think he's taken that a bit from that Johnny Wilkinson type philosophy. Yeah. Um, I know he met him years ago when he was a young kid. So he, I think he was his aspiration. So, yeah, I, I just... It, I wouldn't say he's the underdog, but I just like the fact he's not the biggest guy, but he, he always pursues to be the best he can in every moment, um, which, you know, I, I've, I've always got a lot of respect for anyone that can commit to that every single time under that pressure. Yeah, yeah. I talk about Johnny Wilkinson's book all the time on the show. It's it's outstanding. It's a fantastic read. And what about Valentino Rossi? What's the, what's the, the draw there? Well, obviously, MotoGP, if you've ever followed it, he's won everything. He's mm. 39 now, mm. and he's still aiming to win things and he's racing at the highest level. I mean, give an example. I think four or five weeks ago, he did a double break in his leg. Two weeks later, he's on his bike racing (laughs) again. And then the second race after that, he came second. That's incredible. I mean, uh, for me, I, I just, for somebody that's 39, that's done everything in a sport where it's actually, you know, they're they're going as fast around as a formula one car, Mm. they're breaking limbs. What keeps that guy going continue to be the best he can at 39 when he's won everything multiple times. Mm. Um, and also he's, he's employed all his old school friends and everyone he's known as a kid growing up. So his his whole village is employed by him. So he's he's giving lots back. Yeah. That's a great story. Awesome. And what about coaches who are, who are some of the high profile coaches that you admire, how they, how they go about their business? You know, I, I don't think there's one coach I could name, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. And I think maybe that's because I, I haven't the, the coaches that I would say I'd be interested in sitting on your shoulder to see is it because you've got the good team around you? Is it support team? Is it something you're doing that you mm-hmm. know or you don't know? I haven't had the pleasure to go and sit on that person's shoulder, so. I don't know if it's them, if it's a conscious thing they do, or or if it's you know the timing thing that things fall into place with them. Um, so it's difficult to sort of name name one. I mean, there's a there's a couple in football that you think they must have something, but mm-hmm. until you you're face to face with them and you start seeing what they're doing, are are they actually doing everything, or are they doing some things well and there's still things that they're missing, but they've got a good team around them. Oh, great. Well, and last question: What about uh, the grassroots community, grassroots coach who maybe you've worked with directly and uh, have had uh, good experiences with? Oh, there's been so many of them. I think uh, in there was a guy in golf um, called uh, Rob Watts, who's who's now actually one of the England um, amateur England uh, squad coaches, uh, and he's always one of those guys that. Uh, always even he had the youngest kid working with him he always focused on all the elements he didn't take for granted that he was just a young kid he, he could see well actually there's still potential in anybody i'm working with and another guy who i've got a lot of time for i've been mentoring recently for quite a few years and i think he did a podcast recently was uh, alan Keane, who's the under 18 gb basketball coach oh, now yeah yeah but he's he's still a secondary school teacher and he's just moved um to reading to work with the Reading Rockets to help develop the talent pathway from the school kids all the way through. And he's one of those coaches that very early on wanted, he wanted to be better. So I think it's, it's, it's great that he was, he was comfy with me being around really challenging him, but he was one that backed players when people were trying to write them off because he could see the pen, potential in them and he did not give up on them. He thought, there's still an opportunity for me to have an influence with this person. We don't know how great he can be. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give up on him. 
even though everybody around him was saying this guy hasn't got it. And some of those that he didn't give up on are now national level players. Wow, that's fantastic. That's great way to end the show. Great, great to have you on the show, Mark. Um, full page of notes here, and you know this is a topic that I'm really, really passionate about, and uh, I think I think listeners would have got a, a huge amount out of it. And want to thank you for for giving up your time to to chat. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks. I, I hope people have got some value from it. It's always uh, makes me smile if someone's taken something from it that can help. Any any country around the world that wants me to come over and do some work on the master classes or the levels or working with the teams, I'm I'm open to anywhere if they share the passion for pursuing excellence. Perfect. All right. Okay. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at TheRugbyCoachesCorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.